Welcome to my super type A attempt at being Zen, the podcast. My name is Risha York, and I will be your host. If you are overworked, overtired, overstretched, overwhelmed, just over it, you are in the right place. We like to say we are currently working towards Zen-ish. I'm thrilled that you've joined us. Let's see who will be supporting us on our path to Zen today. Welcome back to part two with Robin Simpkins. I am so excited to share the rest of this chat with you. Let's hop right back in. You've already received the validation that you were looking for because you're the person that's getting the performance punishment. You're the person that's going through the burnout. You're the person that is seen as the loyal, reliable, trusted firefighter. So you don't need to worry about your brand. You don't need to worry about how people see you because you can't go through your life worried about that. Because I'll tell you, if that's going to be your life, it's going to be depressing and you're always going to be down in the gutter. You're (laughs) never going to be the person that you want to be if you're worried about what other people think. And and that's why when you you get to a certain level, especially in my industry, and you're sitting at the table with a lot of cis white gender males because they don't look like me, then you have to ask yourself, so what? Yeah, they need my diversity of opinion and thought. They absolutely can't move forward without it because if they don't have it, then they're going to be stuck and they're going to be stagnant. They're not going to scale and grow. So I have to take this risk. I have to speak up and speak out and say something because I have to change the condition of the state of where I am right now today. Yes. 1000%. So you were talking about you know, this concept of your personal brand, right? And, and the marring of that, the, the concern around, I don't want anything to tarnish my personal brand because I've been so successful in this super type A temperament, doing all the things, saying yes, being highly effective, being overproductive, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Nowadays, especially, you know, in the media, there's a lot of conversation around cancel culture and canceling people for something that they've done wrong or something that they've said wrong or something from eons in the past. And now suddenly it's come to light. And so my question is, you know, it's hard to avoid that concern around your personal brand when it is at the forefront of the conversation in media all the time. Yeah. But how fair is that? We're not allowing people to screw up and take accountability. Yeah. I mean, and you know what? It like, it, I, it's, it's something that has become such a deep concern for me. It is knee jerk reaction in society now. And, and I'll say there's, there's some items where cancel culture because of the internet and social media and now everything being visible all the time, no matter what part of the world you're in, even the remote parts of the world that that we wouldn't normally hear from. We see social media posts from villages, yeah. um, you know, in third world countries. So 
my concern has become that a misstep in the way I articulate a feeling or an opinion becomes now my downfall of my entire career. Yes. So it it's it's something that for me, it's one of the reasons why number one, I'm not, I'm not very active on social media. If you see me active anywhere, you're gonna see me on LinkedIn. Um, and and it's because um that you you might have personal feelings or opinions and those number one don't have any bearing in the workplace anymore. Right. Now everything has to be so work focused, but even, even within that, there's parts of society that has matriculated into the corporate structure and you have to be able to have an open understanding to onboard those items, but at the same time, tiptoe around. All around them and say yeah, nothing they, about it. So, so it's hard to be 100% genuine. You can't always do that. You still have to be uber conscious about how you articulate your statements and your feelings and your perspectives, because God forbid you offend someone in the room and you don't rectify it immediately. And of course you get canceled, like cancel culture to me, like the idea of it is progressively getting more and more debilitating in our society. And I'm not saying that people that have been canceled over, you know, saying, you know, racist things or, you know, offending someone who's in the 2SL LGBTQIA plus community is, is wrong. But what I'm saying is, is that the smallest, the minute things that you really are not conscious of. Yeah. becomes something that tears you down. Like that type of failure, is it something you can rebound from? So you have to stay vigilant and yeah. conscious of how you're articulating what you want. And I think there's something to be said around intention. I mean, if you misstep due to ignorance, that can be, <laughs> mm. that can be rectified. You can take accountability and say, I didn't, I didn't know. And I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if you misstep intentionally, if you're intentionally trying to hurt or mm. cause harm, or do you know what I mean? Mm. These... Even, even on the other spectrum though, like on the other, uh, on the other end of the, pe- the spectrum, I tell my partner all the time, intention does not equal impact and the impact of what you've done may not even consider your intention. Right. But I, I, I agree with you. Like if, but, but then the, the problem becomes to prove that intention. How do you prove yes. that? How do you prove that intention? Yeah. And I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, I think it comes down to accountability, right? Mm-hmm. If my intention was not to offend, if my intention was pure mm-hmm. and I was trying to do something positive and it backfired on me or I mm-hmm. stuck my foot in my mouth or whatever it might be. If What's I your then- human reaction? What is your human reaction when you you had a great intention? Like you're initially going to be very apologetic, right? Oh. And it's, it's probably going to be heavy on you. And heartbreaking. I have, so, I have had moments in, I had a keynote where someone in the middle of my keynote, online keynotes are very, very difficult. It's, you don't have that um, interaction with the audience. You can't read the room. It's Mm -hmm. so difficult to understand what's being said. And at one point I said something, so guys, don't you think, and somebody wrote in the chat in the middle of the, 
I find that extremely offensive that you used the word guys and it's in the middle of my keynote. Mm. So I'm off my game right in the middle. That would never happen in real life. No one would stand up and shout that out in the middle of somebody's keynote. They might come up afterwards and say, you use this terminology. I don't appreciate it. Okay, cool. But did you stop and did you rectify that? I did. I paused and I went... By all means, the the last thing I am trying to do is insult. Thank you for the feedback. I appreciate you letting me know. That being said, is it not insanely rude to interrupt somebody? <laughs> it, it, it is. But, it is. But I but I think to to your point though, when you are looking at this and it's intention based then you immediately can see that person's accountability. And when it's not, cancel culture proceed, right? Because right. I, I did the same thing last week. I, I, I hosted a virtual drop-in and what I said, I didn't intend to offend anyone or to disenfranchise anyone, but what I said at the end of it, they didn't interrupt me like, like the person did with, with your keynote, but what they did was they came to me after and they said, I feel that everything that you presented, whether it was good intention or not, made me feel this way. And I I immediately went, okay, let me take a step back. Number one, thank you for yeah. that feedback. Number, number two, that was never my intention, but I understand that my intention did not drive the impact that you felt. And it was yeah. negative. So I have to apologize for that. Right. Yeah. Cause that's, that's not, you're not trying to make someone feel bad. Mm-hmm. So my apology is for, I do not want to make you feel bad. That's where my apology comes from. That was never my intention ever. And I carry that. I'm highly empathetic. I carry that feedback very heavily. Yeah. Right. But that, that, that right there is what differentiates you from the rest of the pack, right? The people like you and I, who are super type A, um, but who also are not just concerned with people's perceptions, but the impact that we have on people yes. around us. It is about ensuring that the impact that you have, that it's positive, right? And then when you receive impact like uh, feedback like that, that you can onboard it and be able to not just feel it for that moment, but be able to take it into consideration for the future. Yeah, yeah it's it, it makes you unique um, because not a lot of people feel that. I mean, frankly, it, I find it debilitating sometimes because I, I then I'm not very good at filtering all the time. I show up as me authentically, you get what you see. And 99% of the time that works out well for me because what I'm trying to be is transparent. What I'm trying to be is honest. What I'm trying to be is authentic. And so having to bring my filter in on things I'd never considered. Um, I, I know how important it is. I, I recognize that, but also then start to panic about every word coming out Mm. of my mouth. And it comes back to that personal brand thing. Mm. It's, it's the fear of having someone be like, oh, she accidentally said guys in a keynote. And now we're never having Risha come to speak to us again. 
But but I think I I think the the off the offset of that is what you said. Ninety nine percent of the time it works for you. The other one percent, like by the way, that's amazing. Is I I have people come to me all the time going, why did you say this? Or you know, what did you mean? Like that offended me. So I I'm always making sure that I hold myself accountable. Like something I I said to an employee one time um, who was having a difficult time communicating with someone who English wasn't their first language, and they got into a spat to employees. And I went to the employee that was driving the discussion and I said, hey, this is not how we conduct ourselves as a team of peers. When we have more than two to three email exchanges, let's pick up the phone and call each other because I would assume that there's confusion here. And yes. where there's confusion, let's dispel that immediately, right? Because we all work on the same team. And even if we didn't, that would be the approach. And so my employee said, well, I'm, I'm getting frustrated, frustrating me. And I said, let's unpack that. Let's, let's really take a step back and understand what's driving that. What's, what did I say that may triggered you? And so I, I got, um, my employee went and reported me to my HR and said, you know, um, use this word unpack, let's unpack that. And it really was just offensive. And so I thought to myself, there was nothing about what I said that should have been offensive, but I had to take a step back and say, if that made this person feel a certain way, then now I need to make sure that whenever those moments happen, that I'm accountable for those moments. Yeah. And, and that's all it's about, really. Like that 1%, you making sure you're accountable for that. Yeah. And sometimes you're not, don't onboard other people's feelings, but be aware of yes. Aware because I think considerate. Right? That's the part. We're just trying to be considerate, right? No one's mm -hmm. out to get someone else. I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. In fact, I want the exact opposite. Right. I want people to feel relaxed mm -hmm. and energized and mm -hmm. uplifted because of my presence, not the opposite. I feel great. <laughs> I feel great. For I feel uplifted. <laughs> Oh, well, that just made my day. Thanks for the recognition, Robin. That's just, that's exactly all I need. Um, so how can women, let's talk about this for a minute. How can women in a male dominated industry mm -hmm. hmm, who may not be in the C-level position ensure their voice is being heard and that their opinions matter? Because this frankly, is what Lead Without Permission was born out of. I mm. sat in those boardrooms. I sat in that IT company. I watched. I watched as those women said things. And then a man at the other end of the table said the exact same thing and got the recognition. I mm. watched as those women began to say things and then paused and just let someone else go with it out of frustration because it wouldn't benefit them anyway. Hmm. And it was heart-wrenching. It was heart-wrenching to watch. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I, I made mention of it earlier. And I, a person that's near and dear to my heart um, and one of my, my go-tos for mentorship, um, author by the name of Patty, Patty Grimes. She wrote a book um, and her book inspires me every single day because it is about women having the authority to break the glass ceiling of what society has boxed us into. What's the book if, called? It's Patty Graham. 
Kayla, you know what? It's it's uh, it's Patty's quiet women never changed history. Be strong, stand up, and stand out. I and love then it. guess what? Let's go kick some glass. Yes. Um, and and so this that book, it's it's always right here, just in case I forget when I'm in a meeting. Um, that I I have the authority to say something that's going to help push this conversation in a direction that I feel from my research, from my experience in the right way. So I've been in those boardrooms. Yes. I've been the wallflower that sat in a meeting of eight to 10 men because my, my, my industry is male dominated. Yep. No one looked like me their thoughts be very similar around the room. And because the room was agreeing, not speak up. Right. Because the room was agreeing and I didn't agree, but I kept right. quiet. Yeah. I kept quiet out of fear, fear that my male peers would see me not align with them. But I'll tell you one thing. And Patty just posted this on LinkedIn, I think a week or so ago, because I, I love following her. Disagreement is healthy. It's healthy for us as people. Yes. It's how we learn to understand differing opinions and perspectives. It's another way of exalting our growth. So if you sit there as a wallflower and you don't say anything, yes, then how can I respect your experience? How can I understand your ability? How can I learn from you? How can I learn from you? How can we ever implement any change? Yeah. It is your responsibility to speak up. And sometimes you, I think you said it, well, then you're seen as aggressive or you're labeled with one of those stigmas that women in powerful positions receive. The way I came into my industry was by way of a CIO who was an, an amazing female leader. And she led an IT department of about 50 or so people of which about 80% were men. Right. And so the men in the back office, in the back corners would whisper nasty, dirty things about her personality, about her character, because yep. they didn't want to follow her. And the truth be told, she managed that organization the way it should have been led. She right. heard everybody's opinions, no matter if they were the administrative assistant to the CTO. Right. And she onboarded all of that and considered all of it. So when you think about looking around the room, society is shifting. And the people I see, the research I see says that women in powerful positions are leading companies to higher successes than they've ever yes. seen before. And that's yeah. not to say that our male counterparts can't do the same, but it's just a testament to the fact of diversity, of background, ethnic background, of gender, yep. differing perspectives and opinions yield to a better state, whether yes. it's in an organization, whether it's in society or political affiliations, it's a proven fact. You've and frankly, stand up. you know, we as women are not celebrated in those roles enough mm -hmm. you know I a few years ago I did a TED talk and I it's called lead without permission and um in it I was doing research and I was like top women leaders and all these lists would come up and we would be less than four percent of most of these lists pretty reliably 
And we make up 51% of the population. So you cannot tell me that there aren't 51% of leaders that are women that need to be celebrated. That There's no way that's not true, right? Mm. But what we do is we talk about them from a different perspective. Oh, my mother, my grandmother. Yes, but can we tell their stories? Can we document them? Can we celebrate them through history? Because what's happening right now is for eons, women, they did the work, but they weren't celebrated. They weren't talked about. Mm -hmm. There wasn't stories that went along with it. And now we're in this place where I'm like, please, for the love of God, step into that spotlight. Because a hundred years from now, I want little girls to open a history book and have it be 51% women. There's no but reason you know that what? can't happen. And that's that's why it's a it is a heavy burden to bear for women like you and I and like Patty and others who are in leadership positions because it is up to us to model the behavior that we expect the next generation to have. And it's also up to us to pave that way, to turn around and pull up another female leader yes. that can assume that position. Because I'm going to tell you, and I'm getting goosebumps, but I'm going to tell you that the only way to change this is to continue to promote our voice internally, yes. externally, and broaden the scope of what normal looks like. Normal yes. used to look like men in the boardroom leading an organization and the women taking notes right. and answering the phones. And that is long gone. Long and gone. it's up to each of us to ensure that we're modeling that behavior for these younger generations to come behind and creating a table for them when there is no seat at the yeah. table. And I, th I feel like, you know, I don't want to go into a like toot my own horn Risha moment here, but toot it. Through, wow. throughout my life, I feel like this has been a constant theme for me, right? It's like I'm excelling in a space and I get some level of notoriety around it. And people are like, oh, Risha's amazing. Have you worked with, right? And in university, I don't know if I've ever told you this. Um, people made t-shirts that said, what would Risha do on them? WWRD. Wow. That was to me humbling. Cause I was like, what yeah. me? Are you crazy? You step in, you lean into that and you own that. I was 23. So in my head, I thought to myself, you were a leader. I barely know what I'm doing when I get out of bed in the morning. But what I do know is I have ethics. I have standards. I have, but all of this, you know, it serves you for so long and people celebrate you and you're like, I'm, I'm here for it. And I will get up in front of everyone. And I don't care if I fail and I will make an ass of myself because frankly, at the end of the day, who cares? And I'm yeah, willing so to what? risk. Yeah. I'm willing to risk. But all of this, all of this is so exhausting, hmm. right? I want That's to true. be that person. I want to be that person every day, but I need more of me and I need more of you. And I need more of these women because I can't carry it every day. I can't, I'm exhausted, right? We're tired. It's hard mm -hmm. work. It's hard work. And so 
to fight these ethical battles, to have these constant hard conversations. And I get it. You know, <laughs> our gold personality types, they, they're no stranger to having the hard conversations. They will step into it mm-hmm. with, with vigor, right? Mm-hmm. But our empaths, it depletes us, right? Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. you are an empathetic person, people leader, who is also super type A. I see you. I see you showing up every day and giving you 100%. And I see you going home and collapsing on the couch in front of whatever you're binging right now just to try and get some level of balance back in your life. I see it. You have to have something that you have provides you that refueling. And I don't know what that looks like for you. For me, um, I pour out a lot of energy into my employees, into my friends, into my family. And like you said, at the end of the day, I'm depleted. I'm depleted because I'm trudging through the mud of male-dominated corporate America. I'm depleted because I'm coaching, mentoring, and guiding all day, and I'm giving everything I have into other people because I care. So you have to have something on the opposite end of that that is going to refuel you. For me, my partner and I do a lot of meditating, and he pours into me. Without that, I wouldn't really have any refuel other than what I could do for myself but you've got to always remember to take time for yourself. As a super type A, if you do yeah. not do that, if you do not schedule and being very intentional, being you very have intentional to. about scheduling that downtime and that refueling time, you will constantly burn out and you'll have yes. nothing left for yourself. There was a point in my life where I was working two full-time jobs. I owned one business and I worked a full-time job. So I was regularly doing, I would say 90 plus hours a week. Now at that point in my life, I did not have children and work was my main focus all the time. Work and my partner and my partner worked with me. So, Hey, guess what? (laughs) You know, we'd be able to have lunch together. We'd be, you know, but it got to a point where I burnt out so hard Mm -hmm. that I wasn't capable of doing any of it none of it yeah right and that then puts me in a position where I'm like I have stuff to do and I can't I physically can't yeah I'm incapable and one it doesn't serve me right two it's not serving anyone else at that point like I'm burnt I'm done so my whole job at that point when you're burnt out is focus on self-compassion, on building your resilience, on doing the things that fill your cup on, that's all you can do. But that work is incremental. That work is slow. And it's hard. And it is challenging because you have to be honest with yourself. And not all of us are capable of being in that space. And sometimes it depends on where you are in your life too, right? And Mm -hmm. priorities shift as we go through life. You know, when I first had my firstborn, I thought, oh, no, I better stop working for myself and go and get a grown-up job because now I have this little person relying on me to provide for him. And, you know, I lasted six months because that job, A, wasn't as advertised, um, but B, 
it was draining me in all the wrong ways. It was affecting my family life. It was causing me stress. It was toxic. It was a toxic space. Well, I and, applaud you from for, for getting out early because a lot yeah. of us stay in those toxic jobs and create it as a norm. Like, <sighs> this is normal. Everything's okay. You know, I it's one thing I've always been good at, and maybe it's because I was raised by a therapist, but... <laughs> When I am in a toxic workspace, I literally, it's like alarm bells go off in my head and it's, oh, hell no. <laughs> I will not. I cannot be here for this. I will not be here for this. And, and if I think you're right because recognizing toxicity takes a skill. It really to, does. To, because if you've, if you've been preconditioned that that toxicity is normal behavior, then you don't know how to recognize when it's toxic or not. Yeah. And there's a lot, you know, we talk a lot more about this in society nowadays, but also it becomes buzzwords and then people start to manipulate the meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we talk about, oh, well, you know, he's a narcissist. Look, I mean, narcissistic behavior is a real thing. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of people, in fact, I would accuse myself of having narcissistic behavior from time to time, but that doesn't mean I'm a narcissist and to label people with these terms, to label people with these terms in a way that will then create barriers to conversations and learning. Mm -hmm. That's not helping us. Right. Mm -hmm. When we're creating these spaces where it's like, that's a toxic work environment. Is it? Tell me exactly what's happening. I want to know. What are, what are the toxic traits that have allowed you to generalize or deem this toxic? Right? Yeah. Right. And cause sometimes, you know, it's sometimes frankly, and let's say it, sometimes it's us. We don't want to mm -hmm. be there. We're in the wrong job. We're not there for the right reasons. Mm. And we're bringing all of our shit to that table. You mm. want to bring all that shit to that table and think that everything's going to work out fine. Guess what? It's not. It will well, let not. Me just, let me just raise my hand and say, like going back to your very first question that you asked me, I would say 70%, maybe 80% of my burnout, I account to myself because I don't have that no boundary. I'm not enforcing my boundary. And I just keep saying, yes, yes, yes. And that becomes one of my toxic behaviors. Right. Yeah. And when are we going to be accountable to ourselves? Right. Mm -hmm. We have to recognize those moments and say, I'm doing this. This is me mm -hmm. doing this, mm -hmm. this part right here. And so when we can take accountability for that and say, that was me, I screwed up. But here's your part as my employer in this. And here's what I need from you. So we can discontinue this toxic behavior. If they're not willing yeah. to come to the table with you on that stuff, now we're starting to talk about toxic workplaces. If they are mm -hmm. abusing their employees, we're talking about toxic workplaces, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's so difficult to be able to notice these things because they have been normalized. We, we have normalized abusing people who work for us mm -hmm. for a very long time. And now we're having these conversations, right? Oh, Amazon making people work double shifts and that's not okay and won't pay a working mm -hmm. wage. And okay, so let's actually, you know, to use a phrase from you, unpack this, shall we? Let's yeah. look at this. <laughs> 
Yeah. What does this mean? Why are you triggered by it? Because you probably have worked in those roles, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I worked as a janitor once cleaning up somebody else's feces as a 15 year old Mm. and then got screamed at by the owner. I'm 15. Mm. What part of this is me having to be accountable? And what part of it is you having to create a safe workspace for me? Oh my God. You talk about like, I, I go back to one of my very first I say important jobs. I I didn't start out in IT. I started out in criminal justice and I was, get this, a death row corrections officer for an all male prison facility. Oh, Robin. And I was in my early 20s. Talk about trauma, being raised in the Bible belt as a Pentecostal Talk about exposure oh, yeah. and talk about toxicity on a whole nother level, but being in a situation where security is the number one priority, but being in an organization where they hire 50% less workforce and put the women in the most dangerous positions. So we're not at capacity. And if anything happens, I, I don't get my lunch break or my bathroom break or even right. relief. And I got to work another 12 hour shift after my overnight 12 hour shift. Like those kind of things. Now I need to evaluate Myrisha and say, you know what? That's it. This is toxic for me. I have to abort mission, right? But then I also need to tell my employer, like you're not hiring at the capacity that you need to ensure that people are safe here, Yeah. right? But then I got to get my butt out of there, right? And that's an extreme, that's an extreme example. But I think we've all lived that in one way or another. You know, when I left my last corporate job, the COO took me out to lunch and was like, how are we losing you? How are we losing you? Why are you leaving? And I said, I've been screaming at the top of my lungs for a year that there need to be five people doing the job I'm doing. Hmm. But, and you know what, because you kept taking it and you were saying something, but you never made a change. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't even know what happened after you left, but I assume they replaced you with multiple people. They did. Yeah. Yeah, of course they did. Yeah, of course they did. Because because of performance punishment and your brand, even though you were speaking up, the change never came. You forced them to change by and, leaving. I mean, and of course it became an even bigger change later down the line for them. And I think for the best, as far as I mm-hmm. understand. And the funniest part is I have no ill will towards that company, right? Mm-hmm. I actually learned so much in that job. I loved that job. I loved the people I worked with. I, I gained so much in that space. And I think that's maybe one of the first places in my career too, where someone held me accountable to say, yeah, I don't care whose fault it is. We just need to move forward. Hmm. Because I grew up in a house that was very focused on whose fault is this, Hmm. right? And fault was a constant conversation. Judgment was like par for the course. So Hmm. I had always been like, don't blame it on me. It's not my fault. I, I was doing all the right things. Right. And blame was a heavy thing for me to carry. And in that role is where I learned it. Blame doesn't matter. It's like not even a thing. Doesn't Like, yeah, like, like accepting fault is not going to resolve. 
no. what's, what's happening here. Like understanding how we got to this point, great, but there's no blame to be had. No, right? and it's funny, I talk about forward. it. In my coaching, I talk about it a lot as keeping score. Stop mm -hmm. keeping score, stop yeah. it. Just because he did this and you did that and then she did this and, you know, if we do that in our relationships, if we do that at work, nothing oh, good is coming out of this. It, nothing it, it, good. It creates resentment. Exactly. Keeping exactly. score does that. Like, and, and that's, doesn't matter what happened. What we can do is let's unpack it. Let's, let's unpack, unpack it. it. Right. Now we got to this point. It does like there's no judgment or blame to be had. What we know is the now the behavior that we need to adopt and adapt moving yeah. forward. But when we get some distance, when we get some distance from those situations and we're able to see like, oh, I was in this workspace and here's now that I'm away from it, all the things that were not okay, but were completely normalized, or here's all the things that were not okay and borderline abusive but I put up with it because I was through the culture manipulated through mm. what was expected of me and the norm at the company mm. I felt like I had no choice right mm. I'm backed into a corner and then on top of that you add that super type a hyper achiever mm. who is like look Sometimes you just got to suck it up and do the work. Sometimes things are hard. So you just, you suck it up and you make it happen. And then you get the gold star. That's how you get the recognition. That's how you get the promotion. That's how you, they're going to see it. They're going to see cycle. you yeah. sludging through all of this. And the sad part is most of the time they don't. And, and, and if, or when they do, and you get that reward, it keeps you in that cycle. And is it worth it? That's the question. So what? So what? Yeah. So what Robin? What is that <laughs> going to get me? Right. Right. It's going to get got, me acknowledgement. So what? If I got to the top of the ladder, does it just mean more work? Does yeah. it just mean more of myself I have to give away to get what it is mm -hmm. I've somehow imagined I need? That's the question, right? That, that, question. that introspection is, is critical. I agree. I am so excited that you joined us here today. It was a total delight to have you. <laughs> I and, enjoyed this conversation. Oh, I let's can't wait talk the more. Next time we talk. Yeah. <laughs> come, over, come over for a sleepover. Let's make it happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I would love that. But yeah, I think I think it's it's interesting when we talk about this in a corporate space with our hyperachievers and our super type A selves trying to, you know, lead the pack and be our best mm -hmm. and achieve our goals and all of these things, but in all of that, in all of it, we have to remember we are human. We will make mistakes. We have to show ourselves some grace. Rest does need to happen. We do need to speak up for ourselves and say, this is not okay. We do need to know when it's time to say no or turn Give down the space to be human. Yes. That's all. Just give yourself the space to be human and make your employer accountable for doing the same. I agree. Thank you again. 
Um, thank you for listening to my super type A attempt at being Zen, the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and please do tune in to our next, um, interview. It should be super fun. We always have the best guests on here and hopefully Robin will join us again someday. That would be fun. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for listening. Like and subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit www.yorkmotivational.com for more information on my super type A attempt at being Zen, the coaching program, lead without permission, or visit our contact page to reach out to Risha. Wishing you all continued balance and fulfillment on your road to Zen.